0: Welcome back to ghostly talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. We had a really, really good time. Oh my God. It was so much fun. Uh, I, well, we're going to get into that and it'll be a definite pick me up from what we have to talk to you guys about now. Um, and this, the timing was impeccable on this too. Yeah, what, we we lost
1: two people in the paranormal. This, uh, worth mentioning this. Oh, well, Pete Haviland.
0: Yeah. Pete Haviland.
1: Um, he's been on the show in the past, been on the show I, in I the think. past,
0: but what makes Pete stick out? And I, I made a post about this and, you know, I rarely do. I post stuff nowadays, you know, in the paranormal community, but, uh, I, I, I felt compelled when I found out that Pete had passed on. Uh, and Pete, I, I can't say enough good things about him for one thing. And it, it isn't just because he's gone now. Did you
1: ever meet him in person? No, we never did. Oh.
0: but well, we talked a lot. We talked on the phone. Uh, we hadn't talked, you know, lately, but we always kept in contact on social media and stuff like that. There were, We were always like two passing boats out there. And... Um, he was always in our corner. That's all I could say about him as far as Ghostly Talk was concerned. He's been one of those people that has been around with us since day one. And he was always in our corner. That's all I can say. He was always a supporter of the show. He was always there for us, always offering to help. Like, no, we got this covered, man. But he was always, wanting, always willing to lend a helping hand if we needed anything. And that's, that's my fondest memories of him. It was just always, you know, I, not even a fan, just a friend. And that's, you know, I think we probably have more friends of this show than we have fans, to be honest with you. They're, everybody is a friend to us. They're people we know. We're a community, right? Um, so that really hit me in the gut seeing Pete go. Uh, but all I can say about that, you know, with him is, you know, I, I think I put that in the post was, you know, I, I know now that he's found the answers he was looking for because he, he was a paranormal investigator to the core. This is this well, was his life's passion, and, and
1: as was Tim Yancey, our other guy that passed away, uh, was it yesterday? Uh, yeah, I
0: think it was yesterday.
1: So we're recording on a Tuesday, so it's a Monday, th- or maybe today. I don't I, know. I, but I, I don't he know. died suddenly. Um, a lot no, of he you, had cancer. Yeah, and no. I guess it was an aggressive, like fast and uh, moving one. But a lot of you will recognize Tim Yancey from back in the old days here on the show. He was a regular at a lot of the. He conferences. was another guy.
0: Yeah, he was another guy that had... he
1: was a uh, big. I think uh, with I think he was friends with George lutz from amityville he was yeah well uh, tim
0: was uh, another i mean as i mentioned he was another one of those guys that i remember back in the very early days of this show when we were first starting. he had oh, a show yeah
1: uh encounters
0: encounters yeah yeah and he used to go by if i oh my my memory shot if I, i'm gonna it used to be called encounters with lone feather
1: oh he had like a pseudonym well no
0: yeah because tim well tim was indian he had he had indian heritage oh okay and uh I think if I'm correct, and this is this would be a great Doug because this would be one of those Doug trivia questions because he remembers all this stuff and I don't. But, uh, yeah, he used to do encounters uh, and he just was one of those people that reached out in our in the infancy of this show back in the day. And we fast become friends. And then we all started just going to the conferences together and hanging out and stuff like that. So that was a real kick in the gut this morning, too. Uh, And as another guy who's always been in our corner was always a friend of the show and it's really sad to see him go. Yeah, I, I don't even know if he hit sixty yet. I, I'm not sure. We hadn't talked in a while. Yeah. Uh, But uh, it's no makes it no less uh, sad.
1: Nope, it's a bummer to see both these gentlemen
0: so, go. Um, so rest in peace, both of you. Our love to their families, both their you know both Pete and Tim's families, uh, and you know all the healing. And we we all but we know it's a part of it's a part of life. This sucks mortality sucks. I
1: know. I know. We're all like chasing death and looking after, like, like what's but happening then in the afterlife? Then the shit happens. And then then we like, start. dang it. Yeah.
0: This happens. And we get, <laughs> now they out. know.
1: Well, come on. That's not fair. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, nah, they should
0: stay here. Not all I love to you guys. Respect <laughs> to Pete Haviland and Tim Yancey. Um, two great guys. Uh, two friends of the show. Uh, hopefully you guys both found what you were looking for.
1: So <sighs> tonight we had John Brassard Jr. Who was awesome. Uh, John Brasser this was, Jr. This, was awesome. That was my robot voice, I guess, for him. Uh, I, this here. was a really fun show. I love when we have... Uh, John, obviously, is a storyteller. He's a fellow podcaster. And so he's very easy to listen to. And we just go all over. It, like, we should have T-shirts that say, Ghostly Talk, In the Weeds Again. I like... I. I... <laughs> Cause I just love
0: having people on the show who are better at doing the show than <laughs> we are. They talk better than us. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't have an ego when it comes to that I, uh, I'm fine with anybody oh. being better than me. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of people that are better than yeah. than any that us. That's why the they show. have
1: a, sp- a food sponsor.
0: Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't have we don't have the food <laughs> we sponsor. Still don't have that food we still, sponsor. We're, we're looking for that. And, 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 hey, it, blue bonnet.
1: <laughs> Whatever.
0: Blue, what's the other one? I'll uh, take it. The one you get, Hello Fresh.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll and take We're any, not
0: advertising for these people. I just right
1: want now. any snack sponsor. You just want food. <laughs> I just want free We're not going to get money
0: for this to pay for the show. We're <laughs> just, just going to get me, free food.
1: give me snacks. Yeah.
0: Just <laughs> anyway. a pile of food in the basement. Anyway.
1: Uh, Scott, our stipend come. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, our payment has come. Yeah. It's cheese its its <laughs> Um, anyway, John Brasser Jr. is an author, he's a host, he's a podcaster behind the Kitchen Table Historian. Awesome. That is his podcast, so go search it out. You can find it wherever you download or stream your podcast from. Yeah. He grew up on the stories of America's past told to him by family and friends. He was always intrigued by the strange and unusual stories that his grandfather and father had told him. Yeah. He decided to turn it into a lifelong interest. Since that time, he has authored three books and numerous articles detailing forgotten stories from the nooks and crannies of history. In 2019, John started the Kitchen Table Historian podcast, bringing these weird and wonderful tales into the ears of eager listeners all over the nation. And we are going to have all of John's books and all of his good stuff linked up on our site if you just want an easy place to find that instead yeah. of using Google. That's the uh, just
0: the Google, the Google, the Google.
1: Head over to our site um, and enjoy this show with this super fun John Brassard Jr. Jr.
0: Have and I have to admit, uh, Amber, and we've had this conversation because you've had. Sometimes you have to hear the true crime podcast that I've been listening to a lot lately. A lot, um, and some of these ones they get ugly. You know, podcasting, as we know in, in the podcast universe, there one of the things I think that attracted people and a lot of people to podcasting and made it grow to where it is now is the fact that, well, in most cases. I think that's changing too, but you know, you fairly are, you're not really tethered to anything. Like no. you can pretty much say what you want to say and tell what you want to tell. So this is, um, I think lending itself to a new world, at least for the time being of podcast that some of these ones I've listened to, I'm like, my goodness. So the detail these people get into is insane. That point aside, I've been listening to a lot of true true crime podcasts lately, yeah, Uh, and it's been something I've really gotten into, uh, along with the weird stuff too. I found myself really falling into the the Netflix uh, uh, rabbit hole of like you know science documentaries and stuff again, all kinds of stuff, just all over the map. But I
1: think you take your true crime podcast to go with you because I'll be like at the dinner table, like eating something delicious, and then all of a sudden you walk up behind me with it playing, like, and then they slit his throat and the blood dripped out, and you're like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cool, cool. So, like, which is why often when we sit at the dinner table, I have my headphones on while you're watching your true crime podcast while we eat. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: yeah, totally yeah, really romantic dinner that we have. Uh, I find one of the things I do with that though, I find is when I when I weight lift now, I will put something like that on, and I find it makes me angry, <laughs> like because I hear about what some dirt bag has done some horrible person has done and it tends to make me more angry and I aggressive Throw this weight <laughs> in his head yeah i'm just going to just up, put ah. my weight. but that point aside i you know with that said i was really i am and i know you are also amber really excited to talk to Br- john brassard junior tonight uh who's here on the line right now aren't you john are you are you, i am are you, here i'm still here, awake? just listening
2: away <laughs> <laughs> you're still awake i
0: hope Yay. um I know that you you'll know, never
2: know if I'm not. That's the that's the best <laughs> part about this.
0: <laughs> I know that um, you know we're gonna we're gonna dive into all kinds of stuff tonight. And but I mean that I was uh, kind of looking at your background and getting ready for things tonight. Um, I saw that I'm like oh cool we can talk about true true crime and 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 you know well we'll get into the, kind of the, the nitty gritty of that later though. The all main right. reason that you you're here tonight. And he couldn't join us tonight, Mr. Michael McCarthy. We'll have him back with you here sometime down the road, I think. We'll have another powwow here, and we'll get together. Uh, cool. But you guys just finished a book called Erie Quad Cities back in August. Am I correct? Yes, sir, we did. And, you know, one of the things – you know, this is a collaborative effort, and I always – yeah, maybe it's the older I get, the less I want to collaborate. I just want to be by myself. <laughs> just, just I know two. what I know what you mean. <laughs> I mean I know exactly and, how you feel. Well, and the world we're moving into, especially in the you know, professional stuff I find, is it's more and more collaboration. We you know, we have more tools in front of us now. Uh, than we've ever had to be able to connect and collaborate all the time and i find myself wanting to talk to people less <laughs> so the, <laughs> the, first, the first thing i want to say to you is you know you're, you're very cool to see you you guys were able to make this thing happen right because i know this is, two times yeah two times yeah this isn't the only book you guys have done together um
2: but actually this is the only book that him and i have done together
1: oh really oh why, yeah. did, why yeah. did i think you were involved in his uh quad cities one
2: uh he did Ghost of the Quad Cities with another guy named uh Mark. Okay. Oh. he's always calling his first name, Mark McLaughlin. That oh. bang up that,
0: that bang up. I was I was done. involved in that
2: book. He interviewed me for, I don't yeah. know, four oh. or five stories. You know, and me- I bu- I bought the book and I read it yeah. and cause I mean, I just did one interview with him and he asked me a bunch of questions yeah. and it went well. And I read the book later cause it's like, oh, okay, let's see what they came up with. Yeah. And I was surprised to see my name pop up over and over again. It's yeah. like, cool. okay. this is, is kind of weird. I mean, it's cool, but at the same time, it's like, and Mr. John Brassard says, what, what I'm here, I'm here again. Okay. <laughs> you know, I walk away with a tremendous ego boost.
0: Yeah. Well, how the how Floating did you... on cloud nine? Yeah. Erie Quad Cities, how did that come together with you guys as far as, you know, this collaborative effort? Um, you know, how, how did it – I mean, yes, yes, how, would the, how did it formulate and how did it come Wait, together? Wait,
1: and I have to interrupt. What? Remind, no, like what? remind listeners what the Quad Cities are. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, do, the do that. Quad City, the Quad Cities sit in eastern Iowa mm-hmm. and – Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois, they straddle the Mississippi River. Mm. And technically, so everybody, there's a bunch of cities all the way around. And the Quad Cities keeps growing out and out. And the bigger it gets, the more cities get incorporated. I think we're actually up to six cities right now. But the (laughs) sextuple cities just doesn't have quite the same ring to it as the Quad Cities. So the the main cities are Davenport, Bettendorf in Iowa, and then Rock Island and Moline in Illinois. OK, but cool. there's also East Moline, Silvis, Andalusia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Andalusia doesn't really grow into it. Uh, almost Alito. Eldridge is pretty much part of Davenport now. Yeah, It just goes on and it's on. It's a on
1: huge area. On.
2: It is. Yeah, we're enormous. We're almost bigger than Elvis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how'd the book come together?
2: So, as I said, uh, he had interviewed me for the first one, and mm-hmm. he started talking to me about the second one. He's like, you know, I'd like to ask you some questions about such and such a thing, because I'm a local area historian. I've written a lot of stuff about the local area and mm-hmm. uh, other things abroad, but uh, he approached me one day. He's like, hey, you want to meet me at, the, you want to meet in person? I have something to run past you. I'm like, all right. Well, and it was right when COVID was coming down, so we needed something Fairly open. And of course, everything was just coming out of lockdown. Mm. And he said, Hey, there's a cemetery over on the west side of Davenport. Do you know it? It's like, Yeah, I know the place. So we met at the cemetery, appropriately enough. (laughs) And he (laughs) asked me, Hey, would you be interested in writing this book with me? And I'm going to call it Erie Quad Cities. And this is what we have. And we came up with a rough outline. And I added some stuff. And, you know, we went around with it. And that's kind of how it evolved from there. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, this book obviously is riddled with tons of stories. Yeah. uh, In which, uh, Really, really cool, and I just want to dive into these things because all right. uh, you know the first one we have on the list here is the William Renwick Mansion. Yep. Did I spell? It? Did I? Did, did I, I didn't slaughter a name yet? I'm really proud. No, of this, you so. haven't yet. You're doing great. Okay, well, we'll, we'll so the show is far
2: from over. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the night is young. The case. night is Sit young, sir. <laughs> Buckle in.
0: <laughs> Will, yeah, the William Renwick Mansion. Let's let's hear about. Tell us all about this.
2: So the William Renwick Mansion. Uh, so. The Mississippi runs right through the quad cities. Yeah. And in the early days, all of the cool kids built their mansions and cool houses and whatever else yeah. up on the river bluff because they could be seen. There wasn't, in the early days of Davenport, Bettendorf, Moline, Rock Island, there wasn't a whole lot up on the bluff. So as the cities expanded, the cities started around in the Mississippi Valley close to the river which the flooding thing never quite worked out the way that they wanted. But, you know, hey, we already built it. What are we going to do? So (laughs) as they built up, they built their houses up on the bluffs to be seen. William Renwick built his house. He was a local lumber baron. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of lumber barons in the Mississippi Valley anyway. Uh, If you go north to a city called Clinton, it had several uh, lumber families. Uh, There were five main ones with a bunch of little... ones off of that there were at one time i think for like a five minute window there was a uh allegedly more cap more millionaires per capita in the city of clinton than anywhere else in the world hmm. uh if you go down to davenport and rock island uh the modern company of warehauser which is one is still one of the biggest lumber companies in the world if not the biggest it actually started in rock island and a lot of other little lumber companies came up around and The Renwick Lumber Company, Uh, he ran it in the East Village of Davenport or what became that, and he became very wealthy. He invested wisely. He Mm -hmm. had a bunch of other stuff around, and he decided he wanted to retire. Well, he had a bunch of money. He wanted to spend more time with his family, so he built this big uh, uh, Italianate mansion. It's really ornate Uh, Got a lot of uh, ornate architectural features. It's made out of limestone. It looks like it's right out of a Scooby-Doo cartoon. I mean, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And if any place should be haunted, this place looks it. I mean, it's got everything. And so basically the story is, is that, he just kind of retired. There's nothing, no big scandals or anything associated with it. He just built this cool looking house that looked haunted when it was brand new and he lived there. And then over time it became other things as these things generally do. There was a all girls school that was private. It was called St. Catherine's, uh, its campus was right next door and they bought the renwick property when the family was done with it and they wanted to downsize or move out west or whatever they wanted to do and they actually they used that mansion for their own activities and then later on it became a nursing home a uh, private care facility Uh, From what I understand, it was very well-maintained and and all that, so there was no controversy there, and then it kind of fell into disrepair and kind of changed hands a few times, and then an Iowa state senator who was local, he bought the mansion, and him and another uh, man named Chris Ailes, who's a big renovator of a lot of historic properties in the area. Mm -hmm. He bought it or he renovated it and they ran it as a bed and breakfast for a long time. And then the current owners, they bought it and uh, uh, Sarah and Dane Moulton, they bought it and they run it as an event venue now. Okay. And over the years they've had really weird things happen. And so I was just back in October And I got to, well, my wife got to experience one. So I decided to do an event, uh, partly for the book and partly for some other things. Uh, it was called uninvited guests, uh, haunted of the QC quad cities. Mm -hmm. And I decided that's going to be really cool. And I asked, I approached the Renwick with it and they allowed me to use the venue and I advertised, it was really cool. And the night of the venue or the night of the event, uh, you walk in the main doors and there's this big hallway and the ceilings are like 14 feet tall and everything inside is really fancy. It's all, uh, very meticulously kept. It's all redone to, uh, the period where the Renwick's would have actually lived there. And I was on one side and there's like 70 people over there and i i packed the house i was i could not at, have asked for a better turnout so i'm busy over there i'm giving the presentation and my wife is next door in what would have been the drawing room or the sitting room mm-hmm. and she's over there and she's by herself everybody else is busy listening to me babylon and she's sitting there and there's a piano behind her and there was a program that we had got uh, i had got it to run credit cards and it was kind of brand new i had figured out how to make it work and she was learning how to trying to learn how to make it run a little smoother and she's in this room by herself and she can hear me kind of drone on and i kind of become background noise which you know she does that to me a lot so it's nothing new
0: <laughs>
2: and she's sitting there and it's quiet and she's messing with my computer and she's trying to get it to work and she hears the piano bench behind her move like mm. you hear that scrape across the floor that that wooden leg on wooden floor sound. And she thought it was one of my daughters who came with us and they're older. I mean, one was, uh, one's 13 and one's 11. So they're old enough to know better. And she turns around to say, Hey guys, keep it down. And there's no one there. And she knows for sure. She didn't move the bench. Weird. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was really surprising cuz I got done with my spiel, I come over and we're going to, you know, kind of do a meet and greet, you mm-hmm. know, and sell some books and talk to people, and she tells me, "You're not going to believe this." Mm. You know, it was it was really kind of a jaw-dropping moment. Uh the same night I talked to the owners. They had uh they have a comedy night there on Tuesdays. Uh it used to be Tuesdays, it might have changed. Anyway, because we're going for that stickler accuracy here. Anyway, um <laughs> So this comedian is up on stage. They have a little stage at the front of the room and he's doing his act and he's got a water bottle in his hand. And the bottle cap is sitting on this. Uh, it's like a bar stool and you can see it very plainly. And uh, the owner actually showed me a video of this. This is in the book. And during the middle of the act, the bottle cap, it starts kind of Going real slow by itself. And then it just goes kind of whips off the stool. Like someone was kind of playing it with their finger. And it's like, we're going slow and then we're going fast and whips it off the stool. And the guy stops in mid act. And he, did you guys just see that he's asking the audience this. And we watched that video three or four times. And the owner told me he's a big skeptic. He, he doesn't buy into a lot of things. And he's looking at it. He said, we stood there for an hour trying to get that, to recreate that. Because our first thought, even me watching it later, was that it was sitting on a, like kind of a raised portion of the stool and it hit something just right. Or the vibration of the stage, moved the bottle cap and right the position and, or in the, just the right position rather. And it just slid off, but no, they couldn't recreate it and watch. It was just the most bizarre thing yeah. to see it. So, so I mean. Go, oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry.
0: What I, what I was going to say, well, you know what? Let's keep going here because I, I had a question, but I don't want to come in prematurely on you.
2: <laughs> so oh, no, you're absolutely fine. So they've had ghost hunting groups come in, uh, local groups, some um, uh, groups from uh, slightly out of the region, I think. And they've caught some activity. There was one individual, he said, if you sit in a certain room in the basement, you can see. She, he sat one night and watched shadows walk back and forth across this doorway even though he was the only one in the basement uh so there's been things like that uh there were some other things Uh, there was a lady that said she used to work there as a maid on the third floor uh, and she said she would walk up the the stairs to her room and it sounded like someone was walking up the stairs right behind her well dane checked it out and he said well what it is is that the stairs have some sag to them And what it does is that the stairs sag with somebody's weight, and then they gradually loosen up and come back into true. And so it sounds like somebody's walking up the step right behind you. So it's a perfectly natural phenomenon. But there's some stuff, you know, like the bottle cap that people just can't explain. But, I mean, there's no event, no... It's just I guess somebody decided that it needed ghosts to go along with the exterior look. I mean, right. I have no idea. there was no major events that happened there, no major deaths, nothing wacky and wild, nothing cool.
1: yeah, that, that you find this happening a lot with historical homes, I think nowadays mm. as well, where you because I'm looking at a picture of the Renwick mansion and it's just epic looking. It looks exactly oh, yeah. like there should be because it has kind of like a I don't know what they would call that. Not a turret, but like a bell tower type in the front of yeah,
2: it. Yeah. Uh though no, it's a widow's walk. Widow's, you can get yes. up there and yeah, it's it's a little room up there. You can actually stand there and look Aww. out over the the it's actually got one of the best views of the quad cities.
1: Oh I love it. And and the place looks immaculate. And it does oh, it, it is. looks it's like it needs a ghost. Like it just has to have a ghost. <laughs> it really does. It's not complete without one. It's like, you know, we live here in Michigan, and if a lighthouse doesn't have a ghost, that's weird. And there's a few of them that don't. <laughs> So and and of course I th- I tend to think that these places they they change hands throughout their life so many times through different owners and different institutions and stuff mm-hmm. and sometimes even that alone I think starts to generate just an energy a, a vibe or um I, you know I don't know just something that gets mixed up or the right person walks in at the right time and just feels something maybe from the past I don't know but I I could I I know totally like <laughs> if I lived in this area I'd be like yeah, like the kids would talk like, yeah, so one time I was walking past there at midnight, I saw something. And then, boom, the stories start, you know. <laughs> well, that,
0: well, that's the, that's what a minute ago when I cut in, that is what my my thought thread was going down, or my, my brain was going down was, so you said there was nothing major that's ever happened there, which is no. honestly is one of the first times I've ever heard that. And there's there seems to always be some kind of story Um Behind his, you know, haunted locations like this, and this always goes down to the idea that a lot of people that get into the field of ghost hunting, or I should say, ghost observing, or or par- studying the paranormal like this, um, hmm. they become more historians than they do paranormal investigators. Let's say, right? Oh so, yeah, absolutely. So, Amber, what? Go well, ahead.
1: that made me think about how you know, John. You said you you basically you've been a local historian for a long time, which is um, how you kind of got involved with writing this book. And did you were you interested in ghost stories and legends and different creatures and other stuff before because I know like a lot of us local history people kind of become collectors of this type of stuff and know a lot of our own local lore and legend but did were you interested in that already or did uh, writing this book sort of bring this all out.
2: Oh, no, I love this stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, I've been I've been collecting stories like this. Uh, when Mike approached me with the book, I had a lot of my own. I I recognized a lot of the places that he was talking about and some of the stories associated with them. But I, ha- I brought a lot of my own stuff to the table, too. Like, uh, there was one in there, the giant of Scott County about a guy he weighed over. Uh, when he died he weighed over 720 pounds and yet for a good chunk of his life he was known as being extremely agile he could jump up and click his heels together he was immensely strong and he was a local legend around where i grew up and so i mean i had heard about him and uh, his name was william orndorff but everybody called him fatty orndorff and uh when I heard about that, it's like I gotta find out more about this guy. And you know, he's a real figure. And you know, I had been—I actually wrote for a local paper about him. Uh, it was in the area where, where he actually lived and uh, eventually died.
1: I, I love those kind of stories, like about those the local—I don't know the the not—I don't want to say eccentric, but just like people like that, like fatty. <laughs> it's so awful <laughs> that they call them fatty, but it was oh, yeah, more accepted I mean- then.
2: But it's the stories like that that bring areas to life. Yeah. I mean that, well, this guy was a banker. I mean, how many times do you sit through some kind of historical uh, yep. whatever, lecture, book, yep. whatever, you take your pick, and they're just, this guy was a banker. He got real rich. He was in a bunch of different programs and things, and yep. he helped found the bank here. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Was everybody
1: like this? Did I know.
2: everybody just conform?
1: I know. Or, like, other boring, like, like economic stuff, like, the mm-hmm. area was ripe for growing apples. Apples were a part of <laughs> exactly. our, you know what I mean, just like boring stuff. That which is why when when we, I, I think what makes me excited about, like because I write about local history as well, and we do cemetery tours in the mm-hmm. West Michigan area, and we do it through a true crime. Lens because that's what gets people involved in their local history because you got to exactly. suck them in with something interesting and then they exactly. then they kind of start to find some of the more mundane boring stuff a little more interesting and you know right. it's exactly just, it's just super fun.
2: Oh, yeah. That was always uh, my whole shtick, uh, true crime, paranormal, whatever, me- whatever means necessary. <laughs> um, I would start talking about, you start talking about boring stuff. And I I have a degree in history, so I sat through all kinds of boring stuff. Yeah. And they uh, I, I can't really say that, you know, I, I paid for it. So, I mean, I guess I asked for it in the long run. <laughs> but still, I mean, there were so many ways to tell a area's history or a building's history or whatever you want and if you the cooler a story you can get people that aren't normally interested in history like you said through the medium of true crime you tell them that well yeah such and such was murdered there what yep you know and they're like a dog with a treat they just And they're right there. I mean, they're just eating out of your hand. They want to know about it. And as you tell them about it, you can throw in some fun facts. Well, yeah, you know, this building was built in such and such a year by these guys, and they said such and such about it, and this is what it was. And you can tell them the history as a backdrop to the cool story, and then they'll remember the cool story. And if they stick with a couple facts here and there, it keeps that history alive and keeps it going.
0: Well, and- I was, that's what had me thinking about, I mean, I mentioned true crime earlier and stuff like that, and we can just dive into it now because I I think you just kind of explained it though, because that's one of the things I want to talk to you about tonight was this relationship between, I wouldn't even call it a marriage. It's just a relationship between true crime (laughs) and the paranormal, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think you just eloquently just kind of laid that down as far as, well maybe i guess there's more to it because it seems like a good ghost story whether it's true or not and that's always up uh, up on the table for debate right it always kind of has that negative connotation there may be a murder or somebody committed suicide or there was an accident or something like that right oh absolutely um they all seem to have that feel to them i've never really heard and maybe i'm wrong if somebody if somebody out there listening to this right now has a story uh, a, a a ghost story where maggie magdalena died peacefully on her bed with all of her loved ones around her <laughs>
1: but continues, to, but haunt continues the to haunt the place <laughs> i mean She's i'm relentless. all ears
0: i'm all ears right um but I just don't seem to hear stories <laughs> like that. Haunts Always.
1: with relentless happiness. Well, yeah,
0: just yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I want to hear
1: about those ghosts.
0: Every night we get home, she has cleaned the drapes for yeah. us. Oh, they be <laughs> no Every kidding. night she comes home and we, she rearranges the dinner table for us to make sure it's yeah. all nice and organized. The
2: dishes are put away, Puts a snack the beds out. are made. <laughs> Puts a she attacked out. one person and yeah. that was because they were going to walk outside in sub-zero weather without yeah. a coat. Without a coat. I was <laughs> just running to my car and I felt myself pushed to the ground. Who could you, could? You're going
1: to catch a cold.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but I
0: mean, I think that's a valid point though um, that you don't really hear that. They all kind of have this more dark side to it of murder and oh, suicide. Yeah. I, I, and I guess what I want to, I, I want to discuss this with the both of you tonight is this idea. Why does it have to be negative like that? <laughs> Why, I, and I'm not, I mean I'm not complaining there uh, and as you said, John that's how you do get people to listen to history and okay, fine let, let's take this a little further when we we haven't been out there in a while for obvious reasons, but we like to go to Gettysburg and oh, I know yeah, great place uh, And look, I I'm the first one to admit growing up, when I had to sit through high school and try to listen to the stories of the Civil War, I was drooling like I, like a, just a, a stoned hippie, just <laughs> drooling. I couldn't deal it. Now, of course, as I'm older and more mature, I love hearing those stories. But I'll tell you what, what the most interesting stories to me are when I do go to Gettysburg are the ones... Where people had die have died in great numbers, or you oh, hear yeah. about a person being picked off at a certain spot. There's certain plaques in the fields out there where, like, so and so a famous soldier was shot by somebody from around this rock in some crazy way, and the bullet ricocheted and, and it ended up killing him anyways, or something. So yeah. these all revolve around death. Well, and I should I shouldn't say death itself um, revolve around violent death, uh, or you or know, something negative. premature death. Things like that, right? So, oh, absolutely. So again, I mean, but my point is, is that pulled me in. That made me interested and makes me interested when I go out there that I am willing to digest then the rest of the history, I think. So I guess why is that? I mean, and I know this is kind of an open-ended question, but I, I think it's interesting. Why are we as people, the human condition, why are we more prone to to take on the dark side than we are... If Maggie Magdalene just passed away on her bed, like we said, why is it more interesting to hear about a double murder homicide? And now we have people haunting this place. Why does it why do people tend to gravitate more towards that? That's my question, I think.
2: I think people it's an escape in some ways. I mean, it's like the old uh, the horror movie idea. Yeah. It's we can live vicariously and dangerously through an event and get close to it. And yet stay safe. Uh, People are fascinated with the dark side. They're fascinated with the gruesome. And I think there's a lot of different elements to it. I think there's the safety, come close safely element to it. But I think there's also that it's almost like an element of being taboo. I mean, you're not supposed to talk about this. You're not supposed to embrace it. But I want to know. And everybody, there's that little side of them i mean you can call it you know like the union dark side where there's this fascination with something dark and other that you want to gravitate towards and you want to explore but you can't normally do that obviously you can't go out and shoot somebody and experience it firsthand but in certain mediums in when you're doing true crime you're allowed to do it it's acceptable you're learning about a historical event in the paranormal you're learning it because you're doing research for your haunting for a movie you're learning it because you know it's just well it's just escapism from my real life and whatever excuses you want to use over and over and over again it allows people to indulge a interest that they might normally not be able to yeah uh you might not want to bring up, you know, some of these details at at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, I mean, it might not be socially acceptable, but you get in the right medium, you can learn all about it, like, wow, this is cool, because you think about battles from a historical viewpoint, and they were horrendous things, I mean, the Civil War was full of stories of horrendous wounds, and then all the stories of the medicine practice, the amputations, and on and on and on, and, you know, and then the the stories that we're all, I think, secretly uh, really into is the horrific wounds that people experienced and they survive. Yeah. You know, they went on. And, yeah,
0: they lived on with those with those wounds, not only as, uh, you know, a hindrance to the rest of their life and quality of their life, but also as a reminder. They have to live with absolutely that the their lives. But what you said, though, John, uh, to your point, so directly related to. Studying the paranormal and the afterlife, right? It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. We have a whole, we have people all over the planet that study this stuff. They're trying to find answers, right? The, and we all, we both know, and Amber knows too, sitting here, that we're all going to find out someday. Exactly, we're going to get those answers. um I think that the, the 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 umbrella for a lot of this is the the, the paranormal and the afterlife and these ideas we're curious creatures we all know that we we like to take things apart we like to figure out how things work um which leads to a lot of really amazing things that we've developed as people but as curious people we also want to know what happens when our body stops working and all whatever the 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 machine stops working let's say Um, right and we all know we're going to find out someday but we are we're still curious And we want to find it out with actually experiencing it. Does that sound familiar? Absolutely. We want that answer without having to go through it. I've I've read some really dark stuff, and I've had to hear some really dark stuff on some podcasts. And some of these maniacs that I've had to listen to, they're like, "Why did you shoot that person?" Well, because I wanted to get the I wanted to feel the sensation and the experience of murdering someone. I just wanted to know what that was like, and and the, and the the curiosity was so strong to me that I'm willing to spend the rest of my life in prison as a result of that, just so I could get that one moment, right? Oh yeah. Which is well, a that's insane. <laughs> we know, <we don't, laughs> yeah. That's not normal thinking, um, but it's it's the same framework of thought, though, if you think about it, right? It's a, it's a curious person. So- wanting to understand or experience and possibly understand something. Yeah,
1: and it's like that, you know, those people are the people that take the thrill to the next level. Like, we're all saying, like, you you want to experience – Maybe I can't the ride a roller coaster now well, without I, say,
0: out. I can't do well, that.
1: No, but th- that <laughs> was going to be boring. I am. That was going to be one of my examples. Are roller coasters? It's a way to kind of take yourself to an edge, but go. But I'm safely buckled in, and I'm okay. Sometimes. I mean, no, malfunction. That's not a part of yeah. it though,
0: too. I think part of part of riding a roller coaster is that uncertainty okay, that sure hell, the belt, the buckle might break.
1: But you figure that your odds of that happening are not are, are pretty slim. Well, you, I well, I don't that, go on a coaster going maybe.
0: That's no, to get you on the roller not that
1: I don't have a, like a, maybe the buckle's going to break and I'm going to fling out. No,
0: I'm saying <laughs> that maybe the buckle's oh, going to break. Oh, I do. That's but, why I don't write. <laughs> well, thank you, right? No, I, you're, you're right. Maybe the buckle's going to break, but statistically proven, they've proven that it doesn't.
2: So I read about how it happened to other people. I mean, to, to tie that in. I'm, I just want to throw that out there.
0: Well, you know, this is this this opens up a whole treasure trove well, of, so of complete insanity. Go ahead, With Amber. ghost hunting, No
1: people going to... Uh, like Waverly Hills Sanitarium where they can go on these ghost hunts. That's sort of like now a new type of thrill where thrill, you can maybe yeah. experience, quote, I, the other side, if that is what it is. You know what I mean? Like that's sort of, right. a, a, you know, well, kind of watching, same. watching a boxing match.
0: Watching UFC especially now. Watching the UFC guys beat each other up. Oh, yeah. You talk about, I mean, and I'm, I like watching, I like watching boxing a lot. I like watching UFC. Um that's another one another way to it's another thrill. People look at the, the the people froth at the mouth watching those things half the time. They're freaking out, they're losing their minds, but they don't have to experience it. Well, they yeah. They don't have to go through it. Right.
2: There's only a handful well, of and, people
0: on the planet that want to experience that. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, and
2: I think there's uh another dimension or another facet to this whole conversation too, especially when it comes to true crime and the paranormal, yeah. is that the human mind, I mean, because everybody asks, how could you do something? I mean, Unsolved crimes are are scary. Serial killers are something people are fascinated by because there's always that question of how, why could somebody do this? And, you know, like you said, well, they're all insane. Well, that's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least to a certain degree as we understand it. But at the same time, we want to understand it. That question of why is never quite satisfied. And so we sit there and it's a question, it's a frontier that we haven't fully explored or discovered yet, just like with the paranormal, what comes after death? Is it something that's just replaying itself? Is it uh, evidence of some kind of extra dimensional or extra or you know, life beyond. I mean, what, what is it? And so people are attracted to that and it allows us to explore a new frontier safely. I mean, the guys, yeah. The, yeah. the FBI profilers they're in actually sitting in the same room, talking to these serial killers and stuff. Not everybody is going to want to do that. That's kind of a, it's kind of a, a scary thing. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd want to do it. Well, there's only a, there's
0: only a certain breed of people that can go into that profession. I think.
2: Oh oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so you sit there and so you read about it, you watch shows about it. And once again, you get to touch on that and you get to, it's, you know, like you were talking about boxing. It's like, I'm not going to walk into the ring. It takes a certain mentality to, well, I'm willing to be hit in the face over and over again for a prize. mm -hmm. And not everyone's willing to do that, but I'm willing to sit in my armchair and watch it on TV and live vicariously through them and kind of explore that medium through there, you know,
0: and hearing that and hearing just trying to draw lines on this. We, we talk about the paranormal. We talk about serial killers, things like that. These all kind of tie into the same thing. We as people on the outside of that that are not serial killers or where we're we're not dead because <laughs> that's what right, we're trying exactly. to, that's what we're trying to understand as paranormal investigators or people that are curious about this it all comes to, comes down to um understanding with something we right. don't understand um and that's what makes people curious and that's what drives conversation that also drives prod, pro yeah, progress also too through pro, through discussion i think and collaboration as much as i hate it these days <laughs> it, does, <laughs> it does it does it does drive results people exchange ideas and they may develop a better understanding of things right uh and that's what i mean i I mean i have we have a a friend a couple of friends uh and i'm going to keep it very vague but i know i have one particular friend with another friend i've sat and talked about this other particular friend at great length for hours and hours on end trying to understand this person because the person is so we love we love this person to death but they do such wild things um that we find a lot of fun in just sitting down over a cup of coffee going, trying to understand this person, just trying to understand this person. We're not living their life, right? Uh, But we're still trying to understand what drives them to make decisions that they make, which is a (laughs) bit far removed, but it's still kind of in that same thing where I I say the idea of understanding. That's the key word, I think, here is... And I mean, look, it's all about experience though, too. I mean, riding a roller coaster, I think. Yeah, it's an experience most of us will all have in our our our, our lives as people. You know, we'll we we will ride a roller coaster. We'll have that sensation. Um the little things I think, and I'm I'm gonna get off this soapbox really faster, I promise. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, you're fine. But you're the fine. little things, the little things, I think about like, well, I'm going to this place to do this thing that I've never done before. And I think about that out of my way there and i i run all these scenarios through my mind well what's the what's the room gonna look like who's the person there what do they look like i think about all these things and that's all part of understanding and it's all part of an experience right far Mm -hmm. removed from shooting somebody (laughs) but it's still part of that wondering and trying to understand what you're doing or what you're about to do amber
1: well, I just thought it'd be nice to just bring on and talk, uh, or bring talk to John about his podcast, The Kitchen Table Historian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And kind of what sto- what stories? Because this is a true this is predominantly a, this is a true crime podcast. Am I right? Yes. Okay. So, what stories do you tend to look for? Older his like old history. Uh, do you keep it within a certain area? Is it? I mean, I did see. Well, I did see that you uh, your most recent was Detroit, which is where we're at. So I was excited about that. And uh, but I, what what's kind of your research like? Do you look at the old newspapers? Uh, what's your what's your whole like focus with this show?
2: I look through a lot of different mediums. I mean, newspapers are your best bet. I like stuff that hasn't been talked about very much. I like to explore. I, I call them the stories your grandma didn't want you to hear. Yeah. Uh, generally they're older stories Um, I know a lot of television shows when they do historic true crime they'll generally go towards like the 60s and 70s maybe the 50s at the oldest uh, generally because they like people to interview and they like places you can go see and the older you get you may not have that I've done cases where the fam where I've been contacted by family members. That's one of the weirdest experiences is that I write about something that took place in 1927 yeah. or something, and you know, it's thrown out a date and I get contacted by a family member. It's like, well, I never knew this and this is my great grandma. Uh-huh. I know it is, you know, it's like, wow, this is really cool. And you know, some people have added more details and some people have, you know, it's, it's a really interesting experience. What I wanted to do is go with something older because of I think a lot of people have this idea that there was almost like a a golden age in history where nothing bad ever happened, that everybody was better. And it's, yeah, it's so not true. Not true at all. No. (laughs) It's like, I mean, you know, as well as I do, I mean, some of these people were absolutely Mm -hmm. horrible and it's an interesting place to explore and it opens up a new dialogue for people and it opens their minds to kind of looking at history in a new light. Uh I do go more modern. If I find something that's interesting, uh I'm horrified to discover that, you know, I, I see people writing about stuff in the eighties and even the nineties. It's yeah. like that's not new. And then yeah. I realize it was 40 years yeah, ago.
1: Yeah.
2: It's, it's t- like, oh my God, <laughs> this is historic to some of these people. I know. And I cry a little yeah. writing about it. It's like this is so bad. But I I like those older ones. I like stories that are unusual. I like stories that kind of make you think a little bit that take you out of the, take you out of the norm and what's neat. And it's not always, it's not always solely true crime. I mean, everybody loves a good ghost story. I love throwing out ghost stories. If I can tie it to a true crime element, I absolutely will because I think that makes it more interesting. Um, the real history behind something as opposed to, you know, some of these ghost stories, and I'm sure you folks know much better than I do that some of these stories, the history is so vague on it. There, there was a woman named Susie Q that hung herself in the forties. And it's like, Oh my God, come on. Really? (laughs) There's nothing here. Yeah. It was a warehouse. It was never somebody's house. And, And you go through that. But I like those stories that make people think and they look at their area and they go, really? I never heard about that. And it kind of sucks them in. And like I had mentioned earlier, you can teach historical elements about things through that medium of true crime. And when somebody's driving through their backyard now, they remember, oh yeah, there was a murder there. And you know, that used to be such and such a building. And those little bits, they kind of plant like seeds and they spread through the community. And that little bit of history is kept alive, both the good parts of it and well, the bad yeah. parts of it.
1: And and what's funny how you brought up that that golden era, how people think like, you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, no one did anything bad. <laughs> They just ate yeah. cornbread and made apple pie and went to school, and <laughs> everything was great. People were jerk-offs back then, too. Oh, they were. They were. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. But telling that sometimes to your local community can be difficult because they have yes. this idealized version of their founders, and when they came in, and when they took over and set up their churches hey, and their schools. They like the way they
0: used to be back in the day. So
1: it ah. was, it was, oh, yeah. It was really fun doing true crime stuff about ottawa county which is along lake michigan Mm -hmm. because this is one of these tourist areas where everyone was like nothing bad ever happened here (laughs) it was touched by god you know there was no crime (laughs) nothing and it was fun being like no no check this one out check this one out you know look at this story so when we did our true crime we did a We expanded our true crime cemetery tours into a new cemetery a couple years ago, Hmm. and this woman got so hot and bothered. She called the cops because what we were doing was disrespectful to the dead, talking about true crime and the stuff. Let let the stuff they did just stay dead, because you know. And we're talking we 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 actually just stick to about we stop it around the 1930s at the latest because Hmm. of relations still being alive going don't talk about my great-grandma that way and it's it's crazy how like you know just the community can get riled up but there was a woman on our first tour we we brought up a story about how there was a lynch uh hanging in uh it would oh it's been like the 1840s or or 50 it was it was a long time ago and it was Mm -hmm. an accidental one and this woman got so mad and said there was never a, a, a hanging in this area never like she just knew it. like she had oh a time God. machine. she knew it, got <laughs> upset. She was like, no one was ever killed. like the government never killed anyone in Michigan with capital punishment. We're like, well, they did for a bit until it was outlawed. We were one of the earlier states, but like right they're just just incensed <laughs> and it's just Jeez. it's so funny how what just bringing this stuff up, you know with your local community, oh, yeah. what it does in a positive and in then also a really strange way.
2: Or the uh, the one experience that I had is that uh, people were willing to talk about ghost stories with eerie quad cities, and I wrote another book. It was a true crime book, and it was murder and mayhem in Scott County, Iowa, which is Davenport, Bettendorf, and the you know some smaller towns, yeah. which I went into quite a bit because you know for the same reasons. It's like nobody knows this stuff. Let's write about it. This is really cool, and it was like everybody just ignored me. I mean, they not everyone. I shouldn't say that, but I mean, I wrote to a couple. I wrote to a, a couple local TV shows and whatever. You're just like, hey, you know, I can come on. And I can talk about this. Nothing, yeah. just crickets in the audience because nobody wants to talk about it. But yep. you know, they'll let you have this thing over here when you're in person. Everybody wants to talk to you about it, but publicly, oh no, we couldn't possibly discuss that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. The stigma that can have sometimes, especially yes. given the popularity, uh, the, I, I, there was a museum that once sell some of my books because they said, "Well, that's not real history."
2: Oh my god, seriously?
1: Like how how, how could that not be real history? How is true crime yeah, no or ghosts and legends about your area not real history? Like, but that's yes. that 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 weird dividing line that well, people it's have was about murder, this it, kind it's of because stuff because there's
0: murder involved with it. What? Right.
1: Just well, and, and
0: We just had done talk about the Civil War a few minutes ago. There's a whole lot of murder
1: going on there. That, <laughs> that's not real history then, you know? I, I it's because it, people can sort of interject their own thoughts and beliefs and opinions, especially given the ghost stuff. Then you're going to oh, yeah. start getting belief and religion and different things mixed in with that and then right. people will get hot and bothered, which is why on our cemetery tours we really don't talk about ghostly stuff because people do get hot and bothered. Uh, oh my god. You can yes. talk about blood and people getting killed but bring up a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh,
2: one thing that I ran into, uh we wrote uh, Mike actually in that Ghost of the Quad Cities book, he wrote yeah. about uh, there was a there's a cemetery in Moline uh called Riverside and John Deere of John Deere Tractor Fame. Uh the company, the headquarters of the company is in Moline, Illinois and the family lived there for ages. And so there's a big family plot out there. And years ago, they got an angel statue to serve as just kind of like a memorial of the family area where they're buried in. And it turned black, you know, oxidation or whatever process it was. And it became a local legend. And it was the black angel of Riverside. If you kiss it, you'll die the next day, you know, on and on and on, you know, the same kind of stuff you hear other places. What's fun about it, and where it ties into history, you know, like uh, like some people didn't wa- don't want to discuss that stuff because it's not real history. Well, where it becomes real history is, uh, for example, my grandfather took my grandmother there back when they were dating. And he made her kiss the Black Angel statue. I love it. And (laughs) I I don't know if it was a dare or what, you know, just giving her a hard time. And she ended up kissing it. Well, they were married for 30 or 40 years after. So I guess that wasn't true. I was in, I just gave a presentation over uh, in Illinois, this small town and this Uh, One of the people in attendance, he said, we were, we're all talking afterwards because it's amazing. The discussions that this kind of subject matter brings up. And he says, and you know why? Because in 1966, my wife kissed that statue and she's still alive today. (laughs) It brings into people's lives. It's part of the culture. It's part of the regional history. And if you don't talk about it, you're, you are deliberately omitting part of that history. Yep. And a cool part of that history, because people laugh about it. They have a good time about it. And they have fond memories about it. It's like, don't cut it away because you don't like that part. Well, I think that's the issue. It's just just a certain amount
0: of people that just don't like that. Yes. I mean, I I just mentioned it. I I think history is, it's a hard line to walk, I think, because history, we, we all know here on this show that history is not always pretty history history
1: are not, not always written by the losers you know yeah, yeah. Right. Well,
0: exactly um and i mean i don't want to go political with this uh but i'm finding that yeah in this day and age a lot of people even think little things like that you're talking about john but even larger things people are just trying to wipe out chunks of history now and there are chunks of history that i don't think are very good they're quite sucky <laughs> actually they're oh, quite yeah. terrible uh but you can't Deny the past, though. You can't forget what you know as much as you try to forget what you know. Right. Uh, and, again, I'm not fighting. I'm not there fighting for this thing either, but it's something I've observed, and I think we've all observed. I think any normal thinking person is going to observe something like that and say, well, yeah, I know that was a really crappy time. But ter- here I go. Tearing down a statue isn't going to change that. It's still going to be there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, and again, it's just, that's an opinion piece right there. <laughs> and I'm going to leave it at that. There, I know it's there you sensi- go. I know it's a sensitive subject for some people. But, I mean, it's the same idea, though, as what you're talking about. You can't remove it by not talking about it. I mean, it's still going well, to exactly. be exactly. It's still going to be So you might as well acknowledge it. And like you said, it's actually kind of – and I guess it goes back into that dark nature we have as people because I'm sorry, I like to hear them – darker stories about things. Wow.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. Okay. I think people are drawn to them. They always have been. I mean, look at, uh, like you mentioned hangings earlier, um, yeah. when Look at how many people turned out to public hangings. Oh, yeah. If you go back to Europe, look at how many people turned out to public executions. I mean, there was a business, there was like a pocket business that turned up around public executions because, well, I can drag out the stall and you can buy rotten fruit or you can buy snacks to watch the hanging with or the drawn court, you know, whatever you want to go with. People are fascinated by
0: it. I don't know why this popped in my head when you were saying that, but. Out of nowhere in my goofy brain, I just hear "Get your red hot, get your get your red hot dogs, get your <laughs> what, baseball." What is, what is you that? Ever been to a baseball game, Amber? Oh, get oh, get
1: red <laughs> hot dog, hey! I, I don't, say, I didn't know what that snow was. Snow cone? Anybody want a snow cone? I don't know that popped <laughs> in
0: my stupid brain. I'm <laughs> sorry. You guys just take the rest of this. I show. thought, I thought gonna, you, you
1: know. were like, is that I'm like, is that a quote from? Well, something? I can't, is I, I that can't Monty scream. Python? What is we that? We got these mics all. These,
0: these mics are tuned in really good, but even with that, if I if I really did what I was supposed to do like, well i'd blow everybody's ears out i don't yeah. know to do that to but yeah. you know you get the point yeah um but yeah you're right that's your there were i mean there were people that would come out in great numbers to see stuff like that
1: well and, and and just to bring up what we were talking about earlier ufc and boxing it's sort of a spectacle that we still go over to see someone get oh, their yeah. like head beaten and while they might not be drawn and quartered I mean, we're still going be to be go rad see though someone... too. I'm
0: sorry, some of this... Okay, if there was, <laughs> I'm going to hell for saying that. Probably, if, if hey. it
1: was someone really like bad, like they're proven guilty, they're horrible, they killed a million children. Okay, we're all going to get together and watch them get drawn and quartered <laughs> and yeah, go yeah. like, yeah, and that's eat a, that's a, that's a
2: pay per view event yeah. right there. Yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> we're all. Oh, we're all I think people would pay for it now. Yeah, I really do. I mean, like we're talking UFC let's face it the bloodier the fight the better and it's like yeah they went fight they went all three rounds but boy he really laid open his eye and there was blood all over and oh man oh, yeah. you know people go nuts over it. But, it but that really
0: draws some interesting lines though john because i think a lot of people in this day and age like to think about how civilized we are as a society and and how proper we are and how we're so above things like that and like we just got done saying uh, we, we could never hang someone now we are so far beyond that however I can turn on sports network central <laughs> jam box whatever yeah. and
1: watch some guy beat the living hell out of someone till and, they're unconscious and you right. know you know somewhere like in the depths of the darkest areas of the world there is someone that can like pay money to watch someone get killed oh, oh no. that's, uh, yeah that's uh, that's oh
0: I've, i listen i listen to true crime oh, yeah. podcast
1: i've already heard about that yeah, you, yeah. like what
2: <laughs> somebody out there's that's, already talked that's somebody's butter yeah like, was it, was it, wasn't wasn't
1: dip- well it's hostile oh, go ahead people? i'm sorry what was that movie hostile yeah that terrible movie yes could people, like, oh, could people like could people go yeah. purchase do something and pay to like torture other people is that what that premise that's was? what the whole premise is and okay. that's a very
0: real premise
1: yeah so i mean
2: oh yeah especially in some of those you know like you met darker sides of the world yeah. i mean you go, you go down there it's like wow uh, yeah you could see it with enough money absolutely
1: yeah yeah Okay, I want to hear, because I keep looking at my notes, I, there's still another story I want to we, hear. We,
2: well, we
0: went way well, into It's weeds. fun. That's what we do. These were good weeds. But though. I still
1: want to no, hear not, a story. because <laughs> I Not, not
0: the, the best weed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: knew I st- I know I walked right into that one. <laughs> hey, it's all good.
1: I really, we're right
2: there with you. We're all kind of skipping to Oz on this one, holding hand to hand.
1: Skipping to Oz.
2: <laughs> my hip's kind of stiff right now, so I'm feeling like a tin man. I, I call dibs on that. <laughs> At any rate, what's your question? I'm sorry. I,
1: I want to know what the Cambridge, Illinois death curve is. Oh, the Cambridge, Illinois death. Yes. curve.
2: So, you know, every town, every city, there's death curves all over the U.S. Mm. And they're generally a place in a road where there's been one accident or several accidents. Uh, some of them fatal, some of them not. All's it has to do, you know, kind of like, uh, we've been talking, you know, you drive up the body count, you drive up the gore count and you have yourself a death curve. I mean, it can be a hairpin turn. It can be a series of curves. It can be whatever it is. Cambridge, Illinois is a small town in Western Illinois and their death curve is a little different back in the early 1900s. There was a woman named Julia Markham. She was a farm wife. She was very quiet. And she was mostly content to keep to herself. They, her and her husband had married young. They had, I'm trying to think. I think they had seven children and all under the age of 10. Mm -mm. So they were very poor and the kids were very social and dad, the husband was very social and they would go to other farms and they would help out and do whatever. And Julia was just content to stay at home. Well, It was during harvest season one year and the husband went off to help with harvesting in farm neighborhoods in uh in most communities throughout the United States, they would gather together as communities, especially before combines and stuff. Uh, even now with combines, they still kind of gather together and help each other out, just not to the same degree. Uh, but they would gather together at people's farms and each everybody help with the harvest or everybody help with the planning or whatever. And it was kind of a labor saving thing. Anyway, so he was over helping out with that. And Julia, unbeknownst to anyone, because she was so quiet. Uh, Julia had some mental issues and she had decided that it was time to, for her to die. And she was going to take her children with her. And she sent the oldest two children who were eight and nine, respectively. They sent them to fetch some water from a local well. And while they were gone, she killed her other children with an ax and laid them out in the bedroom. And then when the other two children came home, she killed them. And then her plan was was to slit her throat with a butcher knife. Well, according to her confession later, uh, we'll get to that very shortly, uh, the knife was too dull and didn't do do the job. Oh. So she tried cutting her throat. Well, she set the house on fire first, and then she tried cutting her throat and it wasn't deep enough. So, but she decided, you know, I can just lay here and burn to death with my children. Well, this if you've ever seen smoke in farm country everybody turns to it everybody wonders hey what's that what's burning because it's that thick black smoke and you know something's up well they all come over and and look and there's the house burning and so cambridge is actually almost the city is almost within line of sight of the death curve it's maybe about a mile outside of town and the local fire department shows up the police show up or the sheriff shows up rather and all these other people come over to help and and The house just goes up like it's, it's a dry piece of paper and it's burning real bad. And she's able to get out of the house, but she's got severe burns. She's got smoke inhalation and she's sitting there. The doctor looks at her and, you know, he knows that she's not going to last too long. The husband finally arrives over there and he's flipping out. He's looking for his kids. He's looking for his wife and the sheriff asks her with the doctor present, what happened? And she concocts a story about how somebody had a stranger had come into the house and killed all the kids and then set the house on fire and tried to kill her. And there was something about the story that the sheriff and the doctor too. It just sounded weird. It sounded off. And the doctor told the sheriff, look, she doesn't have lungs, So you might as well go for broke. And he just looked and the sheriff looks at her and tells her, look, I don't have time to. To beat around the bush here what really happened and she confesses right away and she tells him the entire story of what happened and then she died hmm. and the story and they were buried locally uh the husband was distraught uh and we're going to get a little bit into legend here uh, yeah. it was he was distraught the newspapers reported that he that he killed himself right after the funeral. Uh, They buried them. The cemetery is right down the road. It's maybe a half mile away on a straight shot. So as you come around the death curve, you walk in a straight line, and there's the cemetery on the right. Well, they buried all seven children in one coffin, and then they buried the mother right next to them, but there was never a headstone. Uh, I figured that because they were so, they didn't elaborate, but honestly, they were so poor, that he probably couldn't afford a headstone. Uh, the story was, is that he committed suicide, not just by hanging. This guy was thorough. He hung himself, but he decided to, well, let me take that back. I'm screwing up the story here. I got to get this straight. I'm on live television. Come on. Well, not television. See, I can't, I don't even know what I'm talking about <laughs> at any rate. So. He decided he's going to shoot himself, but he puts a noose around his neck first. So if the, if he doesn't kill himself with the bullet, he's going to fall off the chair and he's going to die by hanging. Okay. So that's what happens according to all the newspapers. Well, it gets reported and everybody thinks that's the legend and the legend builds up over time. First off, the story about Julia Markham was absolutely true. The husband never committed suicide, however. He stays single for about 10 years, then he remar- remarries. He moves over to the town of Galesburg, and he ends up passing away there. He never has any more kids. And he was fairly old by the time he he actually dies. Uh, the story grows into local legend. And to help things, the legend there was, though, is that the spirit of Julia Markham would show up and try to drive your car off the road. Oh. Uh, well... When you talk to the locals, which I had opportunity to, they they kind of tell some different things. It's not necessarily that she tries to drive you off the road. It's that it's the curve where it took place. The, the Markham family barn used to be right by the curve. And there were people that claimed for years to have seen her. And there was one story. There used to be a, there was a. House down the road a little bit between the cemetery and the old Markham property. And there were a couple kids, they were cousins, they were riding their bikes down the road one day and they see this woman and she's dressed all in white and she's staring straight ahead and she kind of, you know, gives that is something not quite right with her vibe. And they ride past her and they say hi and she doesn't say anything and they ride on past a little bit and they look back and she's totally gone. Now, there's nowhere for her to go. There's no crops to jump into. There's no ditches to jump into. She's just gone. And it's stories like this. And the barn became known as the haunted barn. And people saw, allegedly saw white figures floating off across the fields. And the local legend became uh, part of the local legend. The locals said that julia markham was going from the property to the cemetery to try and find her children uh in other places in the region it became well her spirit comes out and tries to drive your car off the road but unlike so many places where it was uh there's other places where the phantom hitchhiker phenomenon kind of like resurrection mary yeah uh not gonna go into that whole whole tangled up legend but it was similar in other places because it was a big car accident and then one of the victims would want to get a ride home or they'd be seen walking along the side of the road julia markham the cambridge death curve it kind of became its own thing in that she committed this horrendous murder that's confirmed uh that they were real people is confirmed by i mean they're in census records they're in in there's marriage records there's all kinds of actual vital document documentation of these people they existed the children were there uh and so it became this kind of unique spin on the death curve out in the middle of nowhere
1: i love that
0: i know that sucks i'm never gonna i mean i don't want to drive on that but (laughs) (laughs) i would avoid it
1: i'd like to just visit i'd like
0: to walk by slowly
1: well i like how no kidding how that kind of stuff gets like fused together You know, this old time true crime with like this higher. Well, now, now, John, is there statistically there are a lot of accidents in this area?
2: Oh, actually, I talked to some of the locals. I just did a presentation down there uh, just maybe about a month ago. And I talked to a lot of the locals and no, there's nothing down there. And a lot of them, they knew where the death curve was at. I actually had one of the people. She was nice enough to take me out there. And we went out to the cemetery. She showed me where the Markhams were buried, and she showed me where the house was at. And she told me some of the stories that she grew up with. She was quite the local historian, and she was telling me and my wife about stories uh, where the barn was at because she remembered it from being in high school, and some of the stories her friends told her, and you know some other things with it. It was it was really quite the experience.
1: Oh, that's that's the best when you get someone like that that because that knowledge that's in their head that is is gold.
2: Oh, you know, yeah. If it and, doesn't
1: get written down or the story's not remembered and they pass on, it's just, well, now it's going to get, if someone doesn't remember it right, it's just going to continue changing. It's that game of telephone with history. Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, I think it was a combination of, I think that some people, it sounded like they had some kind of genuine paranormal experience or they believed it was paranormal. You know, they believed what they saw was true. Uh, And I think other people, it was teenagers out at the haunted barn trying to scare each other, you know, (laughs) you know, trying to make their girlfriends scared. So they snuggle a little closer, you know, that (laughs) kind of thing. And the true crime element, what gets interesting, especially with historical true crime, is that by the time people really started going through, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when it took place, 1905. It was in the early 1900s and I sat down and I figured out, you know, through the miracle of math, <laughs> uh, if you sit down and figured out, if you go about a generation past now, the Markham's weren't necessarily huge in the community. They weren't pillars of the community. Nobody's writing books about them or anything. They were remembered for this horrific crime. The husband moves out of the area. Everybody else is dead. They didn't have any, anybody else in the area. So, you start talking about people and people. The thing about history is that lives move on. People do other stuff. You know, their kids graduate school, they move off, they get new jobs. They're worried about grandkids. They're worried about their own position. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about the new water tower being built in the middle of town and on and on and on. And they get wrapped up in all these things. And, you go on and then you have major events. You had the Spanish flu epidemic or pandemic. Then you had the, or you had World War I and then you had World War II and you had the Korean War and the Vietnam War and all the, the civil rights movement and Reaganomics and all these big things that went on in United States history. And the truth of it just gets buried in the normal noise of life. Mm-hmm. And so people forget about it and the story, the true story gets buried except with a few people who either care to research it or remember it and they pass it down and it gets buried as it goes on. And so people just start listening to what's the made up stories and what people come up and uh, right around Halloween, it becomes socially acceptable. Like we were all talking about that, that like it was you know, there's times and places where you can talk about this stuff. Well, Halloween's a great time. Yep. Everybody wants to hear a ghost story. So yeah. I get to pull out this mad knowledge I heard from grandpa. Yep. <laughs> and everybody starts pulling, putting their own spin on it. And if you go three or four or five generations deep, how many spins have exactly. been put on it by how many people in town?
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you're a folklorist, especially digging through urban legend, it is like, it is a junk drawer to dig through.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. And it, I mean, where do you get to the truth? I mean, what is the single, yeah. single point of truth on, but, any of those, uh, on any one of those stories?
1: What these? becomes interesting about urban legend is just those onion layers and, and watching how yeah. through the decades maybe the story changes. Like, hey, the teenagers in the 60s said this about this. And well, then in the 70s, well, a, they yeah. were saying this. And what was a, what was causing them to change that story? I mean, that's its own interesting thing on its own, which, you know, whatever. Oh, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We had fun tonight. This we had a lot of fun. fun tonight. This is fun. <laughs> Kitchen yes. table
0: historian. Tell us where we can find that at, John.
1: You
2: can find it on an app, iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else your favorite podcast or lies. And the
0: website for that is John Brassard Jr. So J- dot
2: com.
1: Why did I spell all I that? I don't out? know. You weirdo. <laughs>
2: Hey, it's all cool. We're going to have it it all
1: linked up. I want to make sure people get there.
2: (laughs) Hey, anytime I can hear my own name (laughs) over the air, I am totally cool with it.
1: We will have all that linked up on our site as we normally do, along with uh, John's latest book that he co-wrote with our previous guest. Yes, Michael McCarty. And, of course, we all urge you to go uh, subscribe and listen to the Kitchen Table Historian podcast. It will be your new favorite podcast to listen to. And I am sure we are going to have John back on down the road because yeah, this yeah, was a blast. We'd love to blast. have you
0: again John
2: anytime. Absolutely, again, anytime. This was a blast. I had a lot of fun.
1: Go sleepy